Hey, hello, and welcome to the very first episode of The Takes It Took, a movie podcast. probably just our parents and our friends listening but i feel like we should maybe go around and introduce ourselves before we yeah jump parents into things. are not knowing about this for a while <laughs> <laughs> all right um well i am mariah uh i'm 24 currently uh grad school down here in la for film and with an emphasis in directing um i like movies and i like to make them uh and a movie that i've seen recently that i really like is probably stand by me I that's a good that, one yeah i thought that was really good um, where where do you undergrad? Uh, well, we all went to undergrad together. <laughs> Way to set me up with that question. Um, we all went to undergrad together at Southern Oregon University, and now we're all down here in LA trying to make it big in the movie world. Uh, okay, so uh, hello, my name is Miles. Uh, also graduated from SOU. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, now I'm doing I'm doing freelance editing now. Um, uh, my main. My main interests are uh, editing and visual effects, so you know, hopefully, I can bring that to the table when we talk about all these movies. Uh, favorite movie I watched recently? I watched Finch on uh, Apple That's TV. Right. It was really good. Mm. It was really good. Okay. It was sad because you know. I know that it's got <laughs> it's it's dude. The last thirty minutes wrecked me. It was a rough one. Um, highly recommend. Okay, okay. My turn now. My yep. turn now. Hello, I'm. Stefan Fonseca, sometimes Stephen Fonsera. I graduated from the same place as these fine folk. Um, I am doing video editing for HP. Um, a movie I watched lately that I liked was a uh, Badlands. I don't know. If I haven't seen Miles that. is very familiar with it or not. Wait, am I? Are you? I don't know. What's Badlands? It's about a guy who goes on a killing spree with uh, his girlfriend. I might have. It was it was kind of fun and it was weird and it was like mm, okay I thought this was gonna go one way and then it didn't now he's killing people I kind of like that wait is it does he have cancer <laughs> no oh so that's a different movie different about movie. a guy going off and murdering people that yeah I've I guess seen. so okay okay I actually might know what you're talking about well see in the one I'm thinking I don't remember the name but in the one I'm thinking of he like gets cancer I think I know what you're, I think I've then, seen which one you're talking about and then he's like he just goes around murdering people he doesn't like yes. like there's like and, in a movie theater get like a, a young girl yeah he gets yes know, okay yeah that. okay so you have seen it yeah and then okay I can't there's a part that happens but I'm not gonna say yeah, that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyways alright well yeah we won't be talking about that we'll be talking no, about no Jaws? Yes, today we're talking about Jaws. Um, but before yeah, we get into that, uh, I guess just a little bit of information about what this podcast is and what it's going to be about. Um, but it's going to be all about the takes that it took to get uh, the movies that we all come, have come to know and love. Um, you know, we'll look at it from its beginning of the source material, if it was based on something in real life. We'll talk about production, uh, cultural impact that it had, and we might just talk about things that we like and don't like about it. And our plan currently is to rotate through who leads the discussion, so we kind of get different opinions and um, insights, perspectives on different films, because we all have different areas of interest, and I think that that will be interesting to hear other people's thoughts. 
For the first episode, I thought it would be very fitting to look at the first summer blockbuster, um, which is the 1975 classic movie Jaws. So I have a question. When was the first time you guys watched Jaws? Like, what was your, or like, what were your thoughts on it? Like, did you watch it as a kid or? I tried to watch it as a kid, but then I got too scared because I was like, well, because, okay, so I got to the point where um, the second shark attack happens and the shark eats the little boy. Yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. So water's dangerous. I'm never going in again. See you later. And then I was done and I haven't watched it for years. Uh, And then I watched it. Again, probably when I was like 18, before I got to film school, and I was like, hmm, neat movie. And now I, I watched it again for this, and I was like, oh, holy shit, <laughs> this is really good. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, well, first of all, guys, spoilers for John. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. I feel like that kind of goes yeah, by Spoilers. Yeah, I don't know. I remember watching it as a, a wee lad. I think I must have been in elementary school. Um, it scared me. I was scared, a little, little boy. But I remember watching shark blow up at the end and I was like that was cool that was worth it and then then that was all I needed to know I I didn't watch it actually when I was very young I think the first time I saw it was in high school Mm. and I was like oh that's like a great movie I thought like it was you know slightly scary had good suspense in it but I didn't really think a whole lot of it I was like oh I finally have seen Jaws it was a good movie rewatched it in college and I was like oh damn this is like a good movie and then you know researching everything that happened watching it now i'm like holy shit this is a great movie um after everything that happened and and how it came to be so anyway i feel like we should just probably dive right in um first things first it's not based on a true story there are definitely um some sites that say that it is it's not um it's based on the 1974 novel by the same name jaws by peter benchley and what's interesting is that actually the Universal producers, um, Richard Zanuck and David Brown, actually found the book and read it and then bought the rights to the story before the book was even published. Um, like, that's how excited they were about it. Damn. And they bought it for $175,000, which is the equivalent of nearly a million dollars today. What? You can find a lot of uh, websites that talk about the 1916 shark attacks in New Jersey as inspiration. This is false. That is not the case. There are a lot of articles that claim that it is. But it does have a lot of similarities to the book. Four people were killed. One person was injured. Um, they were the first ever recorded uh, fatal shark attacks in the U.S. Um, and so then two days after the last attack, a guy named Michael Schleiser. I'm probably saying that wrong. I apologize, Michael Sh- Schleiser. Schleiser. Yep. Um, he caught a 325-pound great white shark. And they found 15 pounds of ingested human parts in the shark's stomach. (laughs) And then uh, the shark attacks stopped after he caught that shark. I do understand where the confusion lies for some people thinking that it's based on that, though, because I think the the book refers to the 1916 shark attacks. Mm. I don't think they do in the movie, though. Um, Essentially, Benchley just thought, what if a monster shark wouldn't leave a small town alone? Um, And that's how the story came to be. And the book was immediately a success and stayed on the bestseller list for 44 weeks. And Benchley would go on to co-write the screenplay with Carl Gottlieb. And there are also uncredited screenwriters who I'd like to shout out, which is Howard Sackler and John Milius. Now, if John Milius, if that name sounds familiar, it's because he wrote the screenplay, not screenplay, screenplay for Apocalypse Now. Play a fish? No, no, that's not what I was going for. Apocalypse Now. (laughs) Yeah, he wrote Apocalypse Now, um, and he wrote and directed The Wind and the Lion, Conan the Barbarian, and Red Dawn. Classics. Yes. Classic. Um, And while we all know that, obviously, Steven Spielberg 
directed this. Um, it almost wasn't that way. They did have another director already attached when it was like going through pre-production, and they asked Spielberg's like it, like input and like what he thought about it. And he was like, you know, if something ever happens with this director, I would like I'd love to do this. Um, and then the original director went in for a meeting with the producers and Benchley, and he called the shark a whale. And oh. he thought it was like Moby Dick kind of, and they were like. Homie. No, that's it. Out of here. <laughs> All right, All bye. Right. And so then they went and got this Spielberg. Is shark. Although, in his defense, and I was thinking this while watching Jaws 2, I didn't realize New York in that area had sharks. I didn't know New York I had didn't, sharks I, either. I, I, I don't, whenever I saw Jaws and thought about Jaws, I assumed it was southern. Yeah. Like Florida, like around there. And then when I was like, oh, this is like New Jersey. I was like, sharks in New Jersey? What? They got yeah. the the teenage mutant ninja turtles. They don't have sharks, so I don't, I don't blame him for thinking that was a whale. And the the original book takes place in New York. Speaking of which, the differences between like the book and the movie, the plot is like pretty similar. Like the the movie adaptation is pretty spot on. Um, but the film does leave out a lot of like little side plots in the book, um, which includes like affairs and like the mob is involved. What? Um, oh, wait, hold on. Yeah, oh. hold on. So you're telling me that they're hunting this giant shark, and then someone on the side is like, you know what? I know we have this, like, massive shark problem. I do want to have an affair, though. I think that's my goal in this one. Yep. Well, well, wait, who has an affair? It's, okay, so it is Brody's wife has an affair with Hooper. Well, and, and we were saying this when I was watching the film, because I was like, I like how the wife in the, in the movie is so supportive and like, yeah. with yeah. him. And it's weird to think in the book, it's like, no, she's the opposite. <laughs> yeah. she's, she's just stabbing him in the back. Yes. Um, and so it, it, the book focuses on like Brody's like internal struggle, because he like knows that the affair is going on, too. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Uh, the shark also doesn't explode at the end. Okay, well, I see him now. Yeah, he goes like, oh man, you're dealing with a lot. I think I'll just leave. <laughs> just, in, like, in the book. <laughs> he, he learns about his affair. And like, All right. Bro. Sorry, sorry. I, I don't want to throw. Focus on yourself. Yeah, you, got, you got a lot on your plate. I, I feel like maybe I'm throwing too much yeah, at you all right. Too much. <laughs> yeah. deal with the mob. Um, so in the book, what happens is basically like Quint stabs the shark enough that like the shark is about to get Brody and then just like dies, like just succumbs mm. to its wounds and just dies and like slides <laughs> okay, back yeah. into the ocean. So like I understand. I get. I do. I do feel like Quint's death was a little not what I wanted for his character. I will say I feel like he deserved something a little better. But in the book, the only difference is that I think his like foot gets tied around like a rope and then the shark like just drags him under where obviously like in the movie he's like just he's like chomped yeah chomped in. like or or even if in the movie if he just like did a little bit more damage to him to be like ah he didn't die for nothing but i was like yeah oh, i see yeah he kind of just this like, poor guy who lived this traumatic experience in his life and this is okay <laughs> yeah, i was like all right that's kind of a bummer um, I do want to point out that I haven't actually read the original Jaws, which I probably should have, but I, I haven't. Um, I just, like, found some... You read a book. You did a book, though. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, did, I did find some good uh, websites, though, that talked about, like, the differences, so I am basing it off of that. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that's, like, what the movie is based on, the book, and how Peter eventually got around to writing it. And so for the production aspect, moving into actually them filming things. Um, so like I said, it was filmed on Martha's Vineyard, which is an island off of Massachusetts. They filmed kind of all over 
And originally the locals were very welcoming of the production because I don't think they realized how big it was going to be. Mm. Um, and they were like, oh, some trucks are going to come. That's fine. And then like they didn't envision like the fleets of these giant trucks with all of, like the crew and equipment. And so from that, there were kind of like a lot of complaints and like red tape and like permits and just a lot of people weren't thrilled. I will say, though, that the production gave the town a bunch of business and actually like they used a local boatyard for staging equipment and stuff and building and they actually saved it because the boatyard was financially sunk but because they were using it they were able to save the business Damn. so they, they actually did cool. you know cool yo yeah. i bet the like the coffee shop owner was probably like oh this is it this is <laughs> oh, fucking yeah. it for me i'm retiring after this one uh, i do want to say that my two biggest sources that i'm using for this uh, there's a, tw- a 2010 TV movie called Jaws, The Inside Story. Um, and there's also a book that I heavily rely on. Um, and it's called On Location on Martha's Vineyard, The Making of the Movie Jaws by Edith Blake. And she actually talks about that, how like there were only a few places open. And so they just would constantly give like bars and stuff business huh. because there were only a few options where they could really go. Yeah, I thought that was, that was neat that even though they caused a ruckus and so like they would build log cabins but under the agreement that they totally demolished it and returned everything 100% how it was even like they had to put the tra- like litter and debris back in the same places like huh. they, they did a good job wait hold on they picked up trash <laughs> <laughs> and then had to put it back and they're like okay done <laughs> yep. filming let's toss the trash back down yep that's your day <laughs> I suppose this is a tangent, but this is like the opposite of, I don't know if you remember, in Blues Brothers, they had a bit with a mall where they drive a bunch of cars around in the mall. Oh, yeah. And apparently they just like messed up everything and they didn't repair it. They just (laughs) left it. And then like years later, the mall just like went out of business. They were like, this is because of Blues Brothers. (laughs) And then I think they tried a lawsuit. I don't know. But it was like, that's messed up. They just came in here. They drove cop cars, rolled them around in the mall. And they're like, all right, (laughs) see ya. Deal with it. Wow. Uh, yeah, they did not do that. Whose decision? Wait, hold on. Whose decision was it to put the trash back? I I don't. Was know. it the mayor who was like, no, 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 hold on, hold on. That Arby's box. I want. That's my a. Trash. That's I important. Want my trash. It's important to the uh... a local historic landmark. Yeah. Put it back. Um, no, it was just mentioned like briefly in a sentence, so I'm not entirely sure. You yeah, know who exactly made that yeah. call. Um, I will say though that production was super rushed as they were preparing. They, I mean, they really weren't prepared. They began production with an unfinished script. They didn't have casting done. They were making rewrites throughout basically the whole shoot. And then, so in that um, that TV movie, The Inside Story, um, Richard Dreyfuss, who plays Hooper, he ha- he's very funny in it. I definitely recommend watching it. You can find it on YouTube for free. And he said, we started the film without a script, without a cast, and without a shark. They didn't have the animatronic sharks yet. Like, oh they, they had nothing. I believe it was... Uh, like the uh robert shaw was only like cast only right before filming started like and he's one of the main characters they didn't have even the main characters totally locked and in the beginning it took forever um they were like working with very eager locals but i mean organizing and rehearsing with like the principal actors and then background and then all together it would just take forever and sometimes they do like 10 to 20 takes and sometimes could only get about two minutes of film shot in a day Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> that's, so, that's abysmal. Yeah. That's so um and so like the shooting on the water was only supposed to last about three weeks from June to July <clears throat> June to July. However, because of like rainfall and the fact that shooting on the water is hard, it took about three months. Yeah, they couldn't um, find any sharks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um they wanted to use like a private harbor so that way they could control the elements because Spielberg was very adamant about the fact that he didn't want to shoot in just like a tank in 
the back of a lot right in yeah. la he like that water is different and it just wouldn't play the same but they wanted to use a small harbor but were denied so then they just basically were like all right out into the ocean we go and they wanted to do it to the point where land wasn't visible that way the audience could feel as isolated as the characters and locals tried to tell them like hey maybe use this bay instead of like um a place called cow bay which essentially is Nantucket Sound with no protection from the wind. Um, and then production was like, nah, I think they're fine. Uh. And when filming out in water, the boats carrying cameras would like drift as they were filming and like trying to set up. And it would take like an hour and a half or two hours to like an- re-anchor boats. Um, and you know, by that time, like the sun had moved. Yeah. Um, and locals would just be like, oh, those damn California boys. Damn dang old California boys don't know how to... Shit up shop in a big old wide ocean. Yeah. Um, That's not what New York sounds like, but... <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I'm not sure what that was. Yeah, it was in New York. Also, I was just I was just doing a little thing because I was, inter- I was curious, but I, it, according according to my internet searches, to go far out enough to not see land is about three miles or so. Okay, I've been on a couple ships in my life, seasick every single time. I cannot imagine having to go out, like, every day. Yeah. Just to get, like, two minutes of shooting. Yeah, and, <laughs> and Robert Shaw, Quint, would get seasick. Oh, God. But there's a scene where the fleet of boats, like, when they are initially, the whole town is trying to get the shark. Um, there's a scene where the fleet of boats is charging out, and um, one one of the boats, because they all go at different speeds, and, like, people had various levels of competency mm-hmm. um one ended up hitting the camera boat and nearly knocked the camera and the cameraman off oh god um, and that caused another extra to go overboard like extremely close to like a, ru- a rudder uh, he, you know he nearly got his like hand chopped off oh, and, god. so very safe set you know but in that specific part was like cut from the movie too so it's like wasn't worth it <laughs> um you know, they overloaded boats all the time there weren't proper safeguards in place they had it was called the uss garage sale which is where they had all of the controls for the shark and all of the equipment and stuff but it got overloaded to the point that production had to call in the coast guard to help because they thought six of their boats were sinking thankfully they weren't and nobody died but um the coast guard and the locals were like hey Idiots. <laughs> and then they were like, this. and then production was like, hey, maybe us Californians don't know everything about the open mm. ocean and like maybe we should be more careful. And so that that's what really set them behind. They were always scared that they were just going to be sent back to LA to finish filming. There's also a rumor that the mob was involved, which is strange because again, yeah. the mob was involved in the book. Um, hmm. Just that little thing. Um, maybe, maybe getting like funding from the mob was the way to go. Yeah. <laughs> I can't see that anymore. You know, I like, never, I never saw that as an avenue for creating a film, but maybe I should reach and, out to and, the mob. Yeah, maybe I should reach yeah, out to the mob. I do want to talk about Bruce. So the animatronic shark was called Bruce, and it's pretty well known, but I still think it's funny, so I want to mention it that they nicknamed the shark Bruce because that was Steven Spielberg's lawyer. <laughs> so they just named it after his lawyer, and later, obviously, was the inspiration for the name of the shark in Finding Nemo. Mm-hmm. So that's where that came from. And so initially the plan was to use a bunch of footage of great white sharks and then cut them into the film. And I guess it worked pretty well. And they were like, ooh, that shark is very spooky. However, uh, as we know with sharks, they don't actually care for people that much. Um, And so they had a man in the shark cage who was going to be like Hooper's body double, essentially, for a comparison shot, like to show the size of the shark. And they were doing, they were getting this footage in Australia, I should mention. But the only sharks that they could get near the cage were about 15 feet. And that's not big enough for them, which, you know, if I 
even while that's like a small shark, I would shit my pants. Like that's terrifying. But um, they couldn't get a shark that was big enough. So their solution was to use a four foot ten actor and put okay. him in, like in a very small cage. I was actually going to say like, wouldn't they just get a smaller person? Like, okay, <laughs> they they did they that. <laughs> um, and so, <laughs> so yeah, they used a four foot ten actor, and then so then the fifteen foot shark seemed like it was twenty five. So it worked. And Spielberg really wanted to use animatronics, not miniatures, in the open water instead of just, like, a, a water tank. Um, and I briefly talked about the differences in the book, um, but I'd say, like, probably the biggest difference is that in the original story, Hooper dies. Um, like mm. I said, in that climactic end scene when he's in the shark cage and the shark is attacking it. But when they were filming in Australia with the four foot ten stuntman, they got amazing footage of the shark attacking the cage, mm. but the actor wasn't in it. and so but they liked the footage so much they're like we have to use it like the shark was like flopping on top of it it was like great and so they like changed it so instead of hooper getting eaten they wrote that he just like escaped yeah because they liked the footage so much and so again they needed animatronics and that's where my man robert maddie comes in shout Um, out to robert maddie robert maddie he was a special effects master who had previously done the special effects for Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea mary poppins um, and so he's the guy that created, it was a total of three different animatronic sharks that, c- like, created Bruce, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, which they cost $150,000 to make each. Each or Each. Jesus. Which is the equi- equivalent of $750,000. Quarter of a million dollars each. Quarter of a... Okay. Yeah. Um, and so they had, of the three, so there was one that was called the shark sled, which basically it was, like, on a rail on the seafloor and so it just would kind of bring the shark forward and backwards so it couldn't turn it was just okay. like forward and backwards we on the seafloor yeah so the, where they were sh- just where they were shooting it was about 30 feet okay yeah okay um and that's another reason why they kind of picked that location because it wasn't like too terribly deep so they could rig up this yeah contraption so was it like i'm assuming it had to be like rails big old sticks so I actually have a picture Whoa. to show you guys. Holy I'm shit. sorry, podcast listeners, that you can't see it. Don't but worry, you can I'll also, describe it. You can all, yeah, you guys can describe it. Yeah. If you want. Okay, so there's like this um, mattress rail thing on the seafloor. Okay, and in the middle of it, you have the Eiffel Tower <laughs> with two pulleys on the top and the bottom, and then a shark at the at the very top of the tower. Yeah, and two little dudes swimming around it. Uh-huh. Frog frogmen filming. And then and then it looks like the controls are on a boat on the top of the yeah, water. And all the wires going up to the yeah. bottom. Yeah. Yeah. And so um That was I think we did a great great I job. I think that was really good. I think you nailed it. That's really yeah. good. Um I think and they so could probably re, like build that themselves from the description. <laughs> yeah, all they need I is I think we said too much. <laughs> I think so too. Honestly, I think, I think we could have backed like, it up a little yeah. bit. Yeah, we might okay, we'll have to edit out some of the yeah. details. Put censorships or something on Editor get to it. Editor? Um so the, they it was hooked up to pneumatic pressure hoses, and so they had they would have ten to twelve men essentially moving levers that <laughs> that um were in control of like one fin or like the yeah. mouth. Or like, it was like so some they would wizard have just like shit. some yeah. guy in the back corner is pulling a gun. <laughs> yeah, I was like, and I feel like too when you when you watch it, he he doesn't move super complicated. No, it's just kind of like yeah, yeah just, just back and forth. Like, how is there that many people involved in that? Um, and then there was one that just basically was like left to right and then one that was like right to left and so those ones basically were like open on the side um and again you can find pictures of uh wait so like there were two sharks that were like half a shark 
basically here again i'm gonna show you guys yeah that's half mm. a shark yep all right looks like a shark's been cut in half yep that's just a shark cut in yeah. half cross-sectional yep. shark one. Cool. yeah so that's that's how they created this shark it was three different ones after the twenty-five thousand dollar move from la to martha's vineyard um the sharks were housed at oak bluffs harbor um which they then called shark city and they really wanted to keep it under wraps and keep it a surprise because they didn't want the audience to know like, oh, it's a mix of puppetry and real footage. They wanted, they wanted to like surprise mm. the audience. Okay. So now since they, the sharks were rushed over from LA, they decided like, oh, we don't, we don't need to like do a whole lot of testing for them. Um, and so they had tested them in a freshwater tank. Um, and then they dragged them across the country to find out that the sharks did not like the salt water. Yeah. yeah. I, wonder, um, I wonder if there's a difference between freshwater and salt water i i I wonder if there's something in salt water that's not that's not in freshwater yeah you know what i should i should have i should have looked into that um just like i I love how they're like oh yeah we gotta test this bad boy in as close like we don't want to use as close to the environment that we can get but we don't want to use a lot because the water is different in the lot compared to the actual ocean but we're gonna we're gonna test it in like obviously yep they're not that different yeah. So um, when they put the shark in the water, it just sank to the. It just sank. It Wait, just I thought sank. I thought Solar was more buoyant. Yeah, I would have thought that would help them. Yeah, um, I thought no. it was like floating too high. Nope, it it just sank. Wow. Okay. And uh, Spielberg nicknamed it the Great White Turd, um, <laughs> and they just notoriously. A lot of people know this about the movie. It, it constantly was malfunctioning. Just wouldn't work. The salt water like was corroding it. Like it. So, did, so does it work by mainly hydraulics? Is that what was going on? Yeah. Lay the lever I was like, boys. I was like, yeah, I can't. Curious how that works, like underwater and like, you know, salt. Um, what salt does to that? I don't know. I don't know enough about hydraulics. Anyway. So there were so many malfunctions, and Spielberg actually credits that to helping the tension of the movie because they had to constantly work and like fix the sharks. Um, they had to get like creative with how they used it, mm-hmm. and so. In the opening scene where Chrissy gets dragged around by the shark and then pulled underwater, you never see it. Mm-hmm. And like later on, you know, you see it like pulling the yellow barrels and like just a fin and stuff like that. They had to get creative and essentially, you know, Spielberg's initial version never made it into the movie. It forced him to reevaluate how to tell the story. You know, the audience has to do the work. And Spielberg asked like, what would Hitchcock do? And I think you can really see like the that influence in the, oh, in yeah. the idea that like you're immediately given that taste of violence and you know what the shark is capable of even without seeing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like, you know, what, what you can't see is scarier than what you can yeah. see mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And so the initial idea was like, you saw the shark at the beginning. You saw the shark in the first scene was the initial idea. Oh, okay. And so I think truly it does work yeah, better. Yeah, I think it's you better you don't see the shark. I think in any and they, with suspense. And... They really ragdoll that girl around. Yeah. They like, they throw her. They, they had, I believe like 10 people essentially on the beach pulling her from side to side like with rope yep pulling her from side to side there are there are stories out that like she like broke a rib or she was injured and when she's screaming help me at one point she's actually calling for help okay but i believe that actress who was a stunt woman by the way okay okay that's good um, i believe she actually like wasn't harmed in it Mm -hmm. um and then the final pull where she goes underwater spielberg was actually in the water with her and did that himself so oh. she would feel more comfortable and like he was right there with her. Mm-hmm. And the sound of her drowning and like having like when she goes under, they ADR'd that. And how they did that was Spielberg Spielberg was there again. And they just tipped her head back and poured water down her throat as she screamed. 
it's funny that you mentioned that because in again that the tv documentary that i watched dreyfus is like essentially spielberg committed war crimes to get this movie (laughs) 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 he waterboarded her um to get the effect that he wanted but yeah she was a stunt woman so she was like more comfortable doing that kind of stuff along with the shark there were also there's also a huge storm that blew in the locals were in production. The sh- sharp contraption, sharp no shark contraption, was like in a prime place to get messed up. And again, they didn't listen. Um, and so the controls and the shark got damaged. Um, and they had to like tow in the barge and the contraption because they just refused to listen to locals who knew what they were talking about. Are you are you sensing a pattern here? I don't know. About yeah. That. Well, it seems like, as always, Hollywood is like, now nah, we got it. No, we don't yeah, gotta wait. Right. I think I think we have it. I think. We know more than you. Yeah. Because we have more money than you. <laughs> yeah, we are actively more we are giants. <laughs> you live below us. In the last final scene when the shark like eats Sean spoilers, sorry, whatever. Spielberg kept asking for like more thrashing. And so they replaced the shark's teeth with that, like with rubber, so it didn't mm, hurt Sean, right. obviously. Mm. But it ended up like losing a bunch of its teeth while Wait. that was happening. Old George man Shark. George Lucas <laughs> also like snuck on the set and was like hanging out for a little bit. Okay. And he like was trying to go in like into the shark's mouth to like see how it worked and some of the guys were like oh this is gonna be funny and they tried like closing the shark on him and then they broke the shark and like ran away and pretended like they didn't do it oh my god uh, i feel like i've done that before in like, school <laughs> where I, I break something i'm like oh the classic like you break something and you put it back together so it doesn't look yeah, like, like it's very hobbled back together. yeah and yeah. so the next person shows up and they break it and you're like Whoa, what the hell, uh, man? Yeah. Whoa, oh, you're trying to kill yeah, George yeah, Lucas or something? Yeah. And that in that final scene, the final scene to be shot um, was the big explosion at the end. Um, and they had like all hands on deck um, and they loaded, so they had a fake shark head that they loaded with 10 gallons of fake blood and like calamari and like guts and stuff like that and four sticks of dynamite. And they okay. had 16 cameras on the boat and made barriers out of lumber so the crew wouldn't get splattered by the blood and guts because it smelled really bad. And the book, the book describes it as a pink, old, faithful geyser of an explosion, which I feel like is very fitting. I feel like it was pretty accurate. Yeah. Okay, the book, the book on the movie, not that. Yes, because the in actual yes, book, sorry. he gets stabbed to death. Yes, yes. Okay. Sorry, sorry. Yes, they just had to, to get the final shot of like the orca sinking, and then they were done. Um, but it was also a tradition. I think it started with this. Spielberg didn't want to be there for the last shot. He didn't want to be there for the explosion because hmm. apparently he was afraid that the crew like was going to throw him into the water. Um, so he like so he like helped set up the explosion and then left. Oh, him. I see. Just like a celebratory, like like right, dumping right. the Gatorade like, on yeah, Cody's yeah. head. Yeah. Um, and so he just decided not to be there. I I read something else that said like they shot it without him and he was upset about that. Huh. But in the documentary that I saw, I guess it's also maybe a tradition that Spielberg doesn't stick around for the last shot is like just a tradition that he does but yeah I which i i, I, I want to do that i know i was like i would always want to be there for the very last shot but well, that's how you get dunked in the water true. how to get dunked in the water though yeah you know good morale i mean but he spent how much time in the water yeah, yeah, yeah. okay yeah, yeah, yeah. but like one more dunk. i i'm willing to get dunked in water but like dunked in water right will, after they I will blow say, up if it was because he didn't want to be with the like calamari yeah just and stuff, fish I get gut that. water i understand that I also like how they're like, okay, we're going to fill this thing with fake blood, calamari, 
and toss me a couple sticks of dynamite. A couple sticks of dynamite. Just like a casual so high did, explosive. Did, did they blow up one of the sharks they made? No, I believe it was just a shark head. Just, okay. Yeah. I don't think it was, it wasn't okay. like the full thing. I think you would have probably seen like, yeah, I was like the hoses everywhere. go everywhere if yeah. they did that. But yeah, so all throughout production, they were running behind and over budget. Production was supposed to take about 50 to 60 days. Um, and it took five months. <laughs> and their initial goal was okay. to huh. be like done shooting all of the island things by July 4th because there was uh, like a, it, it was a popular place for people to go 4th of July weekend and that kind of stuff. But they didn't finish all the filming until almost October. So <laughs> um, they had 157 shooting days total. Um, and yeah, the original plan was to shoot May 1st to June 28th. And they left the island September 28th and had to do some like last filming in California, I believe. Wow. Um, and Spielberg was constantly afraid that he was going to be fired. You know, he was 27 years old. He just had a couple of things under his belt. And people were kind of telling him, like, you're making a mistake by doing this. I heard that this is going to, like, people are very unhappy with you. So he was terrified. Like, every night he would go home and just stress about the fact that he was probably going to get fired. <laughs> oh, God. Imagine, like, pure joy of, like, yeah. you actually watching, like, oh, this is fire. Not, not only I is it, crushed it. Yeah. I absolutely you, crushed it. Not only did you get all your money back, but it's, you know, down in history. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Okay, now on reading on Martha's Vineyard, that book that I'm relying on um, for a lot of this, one thing I really liked about it is that Edith Blake mentions a lot about the background actors um, and the locals that, you know, got a speaking line and things like that. But it also talked about the, just the insane amount of background actors that they needed. So there were about 400 extras <laughs> that they had to coordinate. Um, and so in the book, Edith Blake refers to them as the 400. Um, and she talks a lot about how, like, much fun the locals had being in the film and, you know, they'd get 20 bucks a day and a meal voucher and all mm -hmm. that stuff. Some kind of just managed to appear on set and get lines and things like that. But I, I do want to share an excerpt from the book that I really liked. Um, essentially, it was before, I think it was still in June when it was, like, still pretty cold. And they were filming the 4th of July scene where they need all of those extras. And so the 400 were starting to, like, not have fun because <laughs> right. they had to keep going in and out from the cold water. Yeah. And so... Here's, here's, here's the excerpt from it. So Andy Stone, the second ID, said, quote, Up to now, you have had a nice day just sitting on the beach and being paid. But now Universal wants you to do something in return. Now you are going to be actors. You are going to go into the water. And there were groans. And panic. I want you to pretend there's a shark in there chasing you. You are being chased by a shark. There is blood in the water. Um, so the 400 waded out into waist-high water, which seemed to be waist-high regardless of what the tide was, high or low. And accompanied by the most outlandish moans, hoots, and groans, sank slowly, ever so slowly to their knees, thus pretending they were up to their necks in water. Definitely not hot water. Um, only, be, only to be chased right back up onto the beach by an imaginary shark. We'll go again, said Tom Joyner. And into the valley of death waited the 400, <laughs> with cameras to the right of them and cameras to the left of them. This did not happen once or twice, but every five minutes, with the regularity becoming only to transatlantic shipping. Starting places, please, came Tom's amplified voice. More groans. Now sink down. The water is deep. Louder groans. <laughs> Panic. There's a shark in the water. Background action. Off splashed the 400 and a real panicky life and death swim for shore and the somewhat warmer beach. By the end of the day, the 400 were convulsed with shivers and covered with sand. <laughs> that sounds mm. like hell. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No. And, and through that... <laughs> <laughs> 
And throughout the stampede shots, like, an actor lost their prescription sunglasses, somebody cut her foot on, like, a broken bottle and needed stitches, one picked up a, another jagged beer bottle so nobody get hurt. Um, and the sec- this section ends with this line, which I also find very funny. It says, quote, Murder was definitely contemplated on another occasion when Peter Benchley, who obviously is mm. the author, right. was um, spotted laughing his head off as the 400 groan down to their knees in the getting colder each time water. <laughs> Um, which I think is hilarious and I I know it seems like I'm really going into so many of the details and I'm I'm not trying to there's just you know there's so much um so this is for this was for the scene when the boy dies uh this is the big fourth of July scene oh yeah 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 Yeah. and so they shot basically everything on land first and they moved out into the open water and so one thing that's really cool about what they did in the water obviously is with the cinematography they created these camera boxes for the camera to be at sea level. Right. So, you know, it's half in the water, half out of the water. Um, for that feeling that you're treading the water with it, you're not six, seven, above eight it. feet above water. So right. you really feel like you're there. And so the director of photography was Bill Butler. Um, and he picked a location off of Chappaquiddick Island to film in the open water. And again, after being told by the locals and people who know fucking boats um, that the tides would mess with the boats, uh, they still went. And um, they anchored each boat like on all four corners, but every time they'd set up to get a shot, they'd have to, like the tide would move a boat. Um, They would have to wait for like sailboats to cross in the background because they again wanted it to feel like there was nothing out there. So they'd be like, oh shit, a sailboat and like wait 20 minutes Mm. and then be like, okay, we got four minutes before this next sailboat gets in there. Let's get this shot, which is just insane. So that's another reason why it took so long. Robert Shaw in a television interview said that him... Uh, Richard Dreyfus and Roy Scheider, they knew every intimate detail of each other's lives. Um, their their parents' lives, their own sex lives, because they just had so much time to kill just talking to each other. And the production designer, Joe Alves, he tried to make things easier and, and try to organize things so they could just shoot one location in the boat and be done and stuff, but that didn't really work. So they ended up having to mostly shoot this scenes like in sequence, which again, made things take longer. And Spielberg estimated that sometimes on a 12-hour day, they'd only get maybe like four hours of shooting in. And the rest of it would be like prepping and like trying to work on boats and stuff. And so they had an army of about 16 boats for filming out there with about 60 people. Uh, You know, people fell. Walkie-talkies went overboard. Um, One of the cameras went into the water at one point. And so they had to like fly the the, um, film back to LA. And thankfully it was recovered. The good thing is nobody was ever truly hurt. But it's it's very much a surprise that nobody did. Yeah. Given everything that happened. Well, because like, you know, people don't really realize how like brutal film sets can be like they're construction sites yes. essentially yeah. so like imagine putting a construction site on the ocean yeah like it's not a good idea in the cold in the cold salt water apparently salt worse than normal water. water where nobody knows what they're doing <laughs> yeah and they're just like every time someone's like hey maybe don't do that they just go ah fuck you actually no, like actually at, oh oh oh! No, see I, this, see this hundred dollars in my hand. You don't have that, so no, I think I might know a little bit more than you. Have that? <laughs> you don't have this. I'm gonna be here for another two months. <laughs> so yeah, filming on the water is what took up most of their time, and again, just took forever. Um, they also had two different orca boats. So they had one that you know doesn't sink, um, and then they had another one that basically like the hole was totally gone and they had a bunch of barrels that could be filled with either compressed air or water to make okay. it rise and sink classic um, submarine move yeah. and so that was named- ballast <laughs> yeah and so that ship was- stuff ship stuff listening 
poop deck. Harb starboard poop deck. <laughs> Plank. Really? Poop deck. <laughs> <laughs> so the one that poopy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Editor, cut that out. No, um, no, no. <laughs> um, we all get one pass of what stays in, and that's my pass. I'm here to get And so the one that would sink and unsink and stuff, that was called Orca 2. Ironically, the Orca actually began to sink <laughs> one day. Um, and then uh, later, uh, it, it actually caught on fire. They, they did save it, but they also, I believe, had it... I forget where they purchased the boat from. But somebody had to like sail it up, and apparently that boat was like so slow. And the captain was like, "This boat sucks. I hate this boat. This wouldn't work to like chase a shark. It goes two miles an hour. I hate this boat." Um, but they still used it. Hmm. Also, one of the reasons I believe that it's called the orca is orcas are like the only known predator of gray white sharks. Mm-hmm. Like great great whites are, are actually like terrified of orcas. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, orcas. Shark fact. Wait, what? What scares orcas? God. <laughs> uh, I, you know. Sea world. Sea world. <laughs> I was about to say sea world, probably. Oh no. Oh, All right. no. <laughs> okay, I've I've kind of glossed over some of the issues that happened, which is crazy. I've talked a lot about. There were a lot of issues. Yeah. You know, there were so many things that went wrong and why it took so long. But yeah, Spielberg was twenty-seven at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, he had only done like three movies. One of which is Duel, which I highly recommend. I really enjoy yeah. Duel. And the 1974 film Sugarland Express. So he really felt like he didn't... Like, like he felt like his career was hanging in balance. He mm. was really terrified. And the good thing, it paid off, though, because obviously the cultural impact of this movie is huge. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it is the first ever summer blockbuster. It used to be, I believe, that movies that weren't as good would come out in the summer. Mm-hmm. And then when they released this in the summer... Game changer. It had a budget of $4 million initially, um, but obviously because they went way over budget and way over schedule, that went up to $9 million. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they doubled their budget. The mob. Uh, yeah, um, thank you, mob. Thank you, mob. Yep. But it was the first movie to ever gross $100 million. Um, it made $472 million at the box office, ultimately. So, you know, I think I think it paid off. A, yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> yep. So I think it, uh, it did okay. Just yeah, well, I mean, the, the classic, like, Jaws chord is the only thing I know how to do on the piano. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, you can actually, I believe, find, like, filmed reactions of people in the theater watching this, uh, mm. watching Jaws for the first time. And, you know, people, uh, Steven Spielberg was talking about the first time he was in a theater with people, he actually stood, like, at the back, right by the exit, like, hiding behind a curtain because he was so scared what people were going to think. And then he saw somebody, like, get up and like walk out and he's like oh mm. damn it my first walkout and then the person got to the lobby and threw up <laughs> and he was like damn. oh no did i go too far so yeah people were like throwing up they you know they screamed they hid in their seats they clapped at like really big moments and this was also kind of revolutionary with how they that released annoying, it okay. <laughs> <laughs> i i want to make a movie so i was gonna gruesome where say people this, are actively this doesn't up. happen anymore this do, yeah this happened back you know with like the exorcist and stuff where people are freaking out this doesn't happen anymore we've seen yeah, too much like, we've seen too much i mean doesn't i think Lars van trier movies do that though. i, mean, I think God, like those even, do those even make it to the theater though I, I mean, I know with, like, Antichrist, people had, like, very, yes. yeah, very that, bad that reactions. One, 
Yeah, <laughs> okay, we're not, not going to talk about that one. I'm just saying there's no way if Jaws came out now, people would not be throwing up. Yeah. It's just, yeah. like, it's not going to no. happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've watched Sharknado. Yeah, we've seen worse. <laughs> we've seen worse. Anyway, uh, so this they opened this up in 440 theaters, which really hadn't been done to that level and helped make it as, as much of a success as it was you know it, it was in theaters for years basically you know you could see it in in july when it came out or june or what i actually don't know the exact release date but um you know and then like in december it was still going yeah. i mean it was a huge success um they also did a bunch of merchandising which again wasn't a super typical thing to do with movies and but so everybody had jaws shirts and jaws keychains and backpack like every, right like, the classic like from the poster, the jaws of the... It was... The, yeah. You know, that kind of... Yeah. So, it, I mean, it was huge. And, and obviously... And I will say, the more times I watch Jaws, the more I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Like, the more I've learned about the movie-making process and especially mm-hmm. researching this, I have so much more appreciation for what they managed to get with what they had. Well, I mean, they had a lot. They just fucked around for most yeah. of it and it worked out okay and not that i've like i've probably talked way too long about you know how we're gonna have to cut out a lot of that <laughs> um i want to touch on like at least my favorite aspects of this movie uh-huh. and why i i really mm-hmm. like it um first off i want to talk about like the suspense amazing like i like i mentioned i think the, the lack of seeing a shark at the beginning works really really well um i think if bruce had been working uh and they incorporated him in earlier it definitely would have had the same effect. Um, I, I know that that is not like a profound stance to take or anything yeah. like that, but um, I'll go ahead and say it anyway. I also think the cinematography is very good. Again, with filming in like in the water oh, with yeah. those camera boxes, yeah. it adds so much where, I mean, it's so intentional. And when it's underwater, you feel like the shark is really there. Or when it's just, just at the water level, you don't know where it is. Um, yeah. Which it just constantly adds to the tension. Um, of course, you've got that classic dolly zoom as well. Of um, mm, yeah, yeah, yes. one of the smoothest dolly zooms. Yes. Again, if we're talking about like Hitchcock, yeah, influence. There you go. Another thing I want to talk about is like the casting. The three leads I feel like are so great in their roles. And what's crazy is that you know they weren't necessarily the first picks for the character of Quint. Um, they reached out to Lee Marvin, who's in The Dirty Dozen, Sterling Hayden from Dr. Strangelove, before they agreed on Robert Shaw. Jan Michael Vincent, um, who was on the show Airwolf, was offered the part of Hooper. Um, Dreyfus was, was Spielberg's first pick, but he initially turned it down, and he said that it was a movie that he'd like to see but not make, because he thought it sounded like it was going to be hell to make, which he was right. <laughs> um <laughs> But then after he had a movie kind of bomb and he was concerned about his career, you know, as a young actor, he was like, actually, can I please have that role? And so then uh, he called and, and he managed to get it again. And then Roy Scheider, who plays Brody, um, he met Spielberg at a party and Spielberg was kind of complaining about how he couldn't find anyone for the role. And he was like, well, what about, what about me? <laughs> I, could, um, I could do it. <laughs> Puppy dog eyes. Please, can I be in your movie? Char uh Charlton Heston wanted that role, but mm. Spielberg felt like he was gonna be too big for that role. Yeah, like, like you know, the shark is supposed to be the giant of the movie, not the local police chief. Yeah. And so they kinda they turned him down and I guess Heston was like very upset about it and was like, I'm never gonna work with Spielberg. That guy's horrible. Right. Um, no, he was mean to me. He yeah. He wouldn't let me be in his movie because yeah. I'm too tall. Yeah. I'm too imposing. <laughs> and on set Dreyfus and Shaw were like super competitive and 
did not really like each other. And Dreyfus said that, like, in private, Shaw was very sweet and, you know, he was, like, the kindest man. But on set, and, like, as soon as Shaw had a drink, he would just antagonize Dreyfus. Um, and he'd be like, I'll give you a thousand bucks if you, like, climb up uh, and jump off into the water. And Spielberg had to be like, don't, don't, stop, please, stop. No, thousand dollars. <laughs> there was one time where Dreyfus just threw out Shaw's, like, glass of bourbon on the boat. He just, like, taught, like threw oh. it out. And everybody was like, oh no. And then uh, as retaliation, Shaw sprayed Dreyfus in the face with a fire extinguisher. So mm, mm, mm. Uh, they did not right. like each other very much. Classic hooligan <laughs> shit. Um, but it also, Hooligans. I think, kind of helps with that dynamic that you see on screen. Yeah. You know, I feel like it, it ultimately worked, even if it wasn't great. Yeah. Um, but just to kind of summarize that, I guess, I mean, like, you like the characters, you know, you are rooting for them. Oh, yeah. Again, you like, Roy, uh, you like Roy and his, and his wife's sweet relationship, yeah. even though that's not in the book. You know, you like Cooper because he's funny and likable. You want Quint to be victorious and, like, get revenge. And so I think they just knocked it out of the park with that. Um, and the last thing I want to touch on, really, is the USS Indiana speech. Or Indianapolis speech. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Episode's over. I made a mistake. Strike three. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, it was definitely that and not the poopy bit. But yes, I love this part of the movie. Uh, mm. I think the way that Shaw delivers it is, is you know, perfect. It's yeah. a very simple shot. You, you really are, like, clinging on to every word that he says. And what's funny is that before that scene, Shaw was like, hey, Spielberg, can I, like, have a few drinks to, like, get, in, to, like, <laughs> get into the role? And then ended up shit-faced. And then, like, oh, yeah. couldn't do it. And he was super embarrassed. And he was very apologetic. And the next day, he was like, did I just did I just ruin everything? Did I, like, make an absolute fool out of myself? And Spielberg was like, not completely. A little bit. A little <laughs> yeah. bit, though. Um, try it sober this time. And uh, then he, he came back the next day and just nailed it. In the movie, it's actually a mix of okay. when he's drunk and when he's sober so and you can't you can't really tell yeah. which i think is very interesting and so it's important to note that like that speech it's all true you know uh it's a real event that happened and so on july 30th 1945 the uss indianapolis was delivering parts of little boy which is a code name for that type of nuclear bomb that would be dropped in hiroshima a week later and so it was leaving guam and headed towards the philippines um and it was torpedoed by japan and sank in 12 minutes and there were 12 about 1,200 crew member, and nearly a quarter of them drowned with the ship. Also, the Navy didn't know for four days until, like, a routine patrol plane spotted the survivors that something had happened. Um, and so out of the 890 that survived, they suffered for those four days and faced exposure, dehydration, saltwater poisoning, and shark attacks. And out of the original 890 that escaped the ship, only 316 survived. And so a lot of sharks were attracted to the wreck by the noise and the scent of blood in the water, obviously. And so after they attacked... The dead and wounded, they began attacking survivors. And Wikipedia, I used Wikipedia as, as part of a source on this. Mm -hmm. Sorry, it's not the most reliable. Yeah, um, yeah, but the number of deaths that are like attributed to the shark ranges from like a few dozen to like 150. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not entirely clear, you know, how many were attacked by sharks. Right. But in that, the, in the TV doc, Jaws Inside Story, um, they do have an USS Indianapolis crew member who said that the sharks would pull them down, eat their extremities, and then the rest of the body would just bob to the surface. That's fun. Mm. Yes. Um, and there's a lot of interesting information surrounding this event, like how, you know, like the Navy's incompetence meant, like they didn't learn about the sinking for four days and how, yeah. you know, the, the captain was court-martialed. It's, it's very interesting. You know, it's very sad and tragic, yeah. which again, I think Shaw nails with that performance. And so Howard Sackler, who's uncredited for his help on the screenplay, he added in 
that speech because he felt like Quint needed a solid backstory for his hatred of sharks. Yeah. And then John Milius, who again was a screener for Apocalypse Now, he wrote like an eight to 10 page version of like a monologue for Shaw. Hmm. And then Shaw saw that and was like, that's a lot. It's not a long um, book. So he shortened it down significantly. So as Spielberg puts it, uh, that speech is Shaw's version of Milius's version of Sackler's speech. <laughs> and actual vets of the USS Indianapolis like really appreciated the scene and how Shaw brought attention to the disaster that yeah. told their story that previously wasn't common knowledge. Right. Um, and in, also in 2017, they, they found the wreckage of the ship in the Philippine mm. Sea. Okay, I think I have rambled on uh, way long enough. Uh, so my question for you guys... Okay. Cut you down. Is, Cutting you off right now. Is uh, what... What are some aspects and things that you guys really like about Jaws, or maybe things that you thought that they could have done better? Not that we really have a whole lot of room to, you know, critique Spielberg and this yeah. masterpiece, but um, um, you know, Spielberg. I really think Spielberg. I think could have just put in like I don't know, ten percent more effort with yeah. that one, um, and more shark. I wanted oh, more. Like just every shot should have a shark. I think in it. there should have been a. They should have had a shark in every shot, whether it's like a photo in the background. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I want the whole. I want flopping on the floor. I shark. Want, <laughs> I, just, I just want uh, two hours unedited footage of a shark in the water. I want. Let's just watch Animal Planet. Yeah. For real though, I think the moment the guy turns and he goes, uh, "What?" <laughs> is one of the best moments of the entire movie. To clarify, that is fairly early in the movie. I can't. Oh shoot! What is it? I think no. It's after they catch the one shark. After they catch the the, t- the tiger yeah, shark that know. they believe it's like they're like oh we we caught it we caught yeah, the shark and, and Hooper's goes, like you great idiot white shark and he turns and he goes oh what <laughs> yeah if if you go back and rewatch Jaws please look out for that because yeah. Stefan and I were watching that and we were cracking up just yeah. the way that this guy said this line anyway oh what oh what yeah he like first time he just like not get that sort of like confusion and wonder out of someone like genuine just first time like what huh what um i was gonna ask yeah like just like favorite moments um i could start or someone else can go i I could i don't know um you know the tension is hard for me to write because like we're sort of saying before it's like i've seen so much these days that the the tension didn't really do much for me personally and maybe that's the case for most people nowadays but like it was enough where it's like i see what's happening like i i think the the fourth of july beach scene with the boys very good and you know when it was like yeah it's showing like a bunch of people and it's showing the dog and you're like oh like oh, it's yeah. gonna be like something's gonna happen it's gonna be someone and then also just that whole sequence too when they they send the boys off into the pond mm-hmm. and then them realizing that like oh the shark's going that way and then that sort of that, that shift was it was a fun moment for me but um honestly i think one of my favorite moments like specific just a moment was when he when he very, I don't know, cliche, but when he when he pops up, when he's feeding the, throwing it over the boat, oh yeah, and then he's looking off to the screen, and then it comes up and he goes, oh. like that's good, yeah, that's good, that's so so solid, so good. I like that. I think I gotta give a shout out to the like, I guess Spielberg for how he edited it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he he knew when to hold a shot, yeah. like when. You know, you're watching the the barge scene when they're talking about like pretty early on in the movie when they're like, trying to convince him that it's not actually a shark attack that's going on. Mm. Yeah, the just like the blocking of like okay, you have these four characters in like the corner of this barge, and now 
it's the three characters and they're closer up. And yeah. there's the two characters and they're like really close to the camera and it's all one continuous shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just always a good shot. And then in the 4th of July where it goes from the boy asking his mom if he can keep going out. Yeah. He goes, gets uh, his raft. So we see that character mm-hmm. uh, and we like, he's established. And then it cuts back to our main cop boy, our favorite man. And then the shots where it's edited between going from you know him looking around the beach to yeah. what's actually going on like in the water yeah. and it's constantly being cut by people walking in front of the frame yeah that was something it's too. just I like, like i don't know if that how often that had been done at this point yeah like cinema but like yeah having but it, it just cross. made the beach feel so much more yeah, like lively like chaotic and lively and like he you know he really was sort of getting lost in all the people yeah and i talking about editor um mm-hmm. i do want to shout out the editor her name is verna right. fields okay verna fields verna fields you killed it she also you did great she yeah. also um kind of helped direct some other scenes like inserts and stuff like that mm-hmm. um and joe alves who was the production designer also did the same thing and so when i was reading the when i was reading um on martha's vineyard it would occasionally say like the directors plural and i was like what are you talking about? it was spielberg but like i kind of understand mm-hmm. why edith blake calls them directors because they also like pitched in mm-hmm. so verna fields in addition to editing also kind of helped get the inserts and like make sure you know like she needed, right. if she needed mm-hmm. anything else um and she actually did not edit a whole lot jaws was her last thing that she edited oh damn but she had edited sugarland express oh, which was yes which was his other one so that's how they knew each other well but. she crushed her last movie it was great yeah, that's yeah. Good. That's she did good. a wonderful job yeah I think for me too, I, I will say like one of my favorite moments is, yeah, obviously the, you're going to need a bigger boat that bit. Mm-hmm. I love the way that they reveal the shark when he's not looking yeah. and then he mm-hmm. sees it. And initially that got like the biggest scream from the yeah. audience. And then, you know, he, he walks backwards and tells Quinn, like, you're going to need a bigger boat. And initially audiences were like still screaming. And so it covered up that line. <laughs> and so they had to like go in and like add add time add space. so like the audience would die down so you could hear yeah we need uh, to brody say that yeah yeah i um, think i think it's like a fantastic reveal yes you know, and just, um and the way it doesn't like build it up per se yeah it's like, just there it, it just sort of happens i like that you know yeah well i mean that's like because and it's not like some huge you know and it's not like a lot of jump scares nowadays where you know it's on screen it's like <clears throat> and there's just this concoctionist noise you know it's kind yeah. of like oh there he is and you're like ah yep i think it really helps that he's looking away because like a lot yeah, of yeah, what suspense is is like the audience knows something that the characters don't yeah and so like in one shot you know like you see it he doesn't yeah what the, like what's gonna happen so yeah very good yeah i think that's definitely one of my favorite parts too again uh, Quint's speech I think is just phenomenal that's mm-hmm. pro- definitely one of my favorite moments and I do think uh, I think Alex I think the kid's name is Kinter or something like that who mm-hmm. the, the kid who dies and there's that scene where his mom afterwards talks yeah, to the chief and is like you knew you knew and now my son is dead I think that's a very powerful scene as well when um, she slaps him and she actually did slap him mm-hmm. um, and uh, Roy Schreider said that it was like his most painful day as an actor because he got slapped like 17 times very hard oh man um, but Ooh. I think that that part's very good uh, as well but again just the suspense I, I it works yeah. for me still you know and it I, you know maybe not as much for you but uh, it definitely works for me yeah. I, I really like it cold man my heart's <laughs> grown cold I've seen too much the, the wars I find <laughs> jaded to the I'm jaded to the, to the world you know I've seen I don't know <laughs> I was gonna you can't I was it. gonna make up some sort of elaborate thing right but I was you know crawling on the beaches of Normandy and I 
One of the reasons why I've, I've wanted to make this podcast for a long time now. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons is I am that person that whenever I watch a movie, I have to pull up IMDb and look at the trivia. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> and Stefan loves it um, so whenever I watch a movie with him. Um, but I figured that I could just end on some fun trivia. A lot of it's kind of, I think, well known, but I just want to throw it out there uh, to kind of wrap up. Mm-hmm. this is we're wrapping up our very first episode guys wow god um, i give you time i really hope this is still recording is it guys yes okay sweet cool sick um okay so first off i want to say that the author peter benchley he makes a cameo as the news reporter on the beach i just think that's fun because yeah he was on set and he, he would do rewrites um because he you know helped co-write the screenplay but it got to a point where he's like I, I can't write anymore please god and so then they passed it off to other people but he was around and he makes a cameo which i think is fun <laughs> and then again in the book on martha's vineyard um there's a lot i just find this very funny there's a line and it says okay scheider also says this in the documentary so i don't know if the book is quoting him or anyway this is what it is and i find it funny um and it says it's not the time it takes to take the takes it's the time it takes between the takes that take the time to take which I feel like is fitting because our podcast is called. It fits fitting. perfectly. Uh, yeah, look at that. And I and I want to be clear: we didn't base the podcast name off of this at all. Yeah, <laughs> um, takes it took. But I just thought that was very funny. Yeah. And as, as I was reading, I was like, "Oh, that like fits in strangely very well um, yes. for the podcast." Um, I'm, yeah, again, I'm not exactly sure how to, who to like credit that to because again, Scheider says it, but the book also does. I'm guessing Scheider's. Anyway, um, moving on. When composer John Williams first played that very famous ominous two-note right. shark theme score for spielberg on the piano spielberg thought it was a joke and he was like haha okay what do you really have and then but he would go on and say that you know the score was responsible for like half of the success of the movie mm-hmm. and like knocked out of the park and in that same vein john williams was conducting the orchestra during the 1976 academy awards so when he won the oscar for best score he had to dash up to the podium and accept the Oscar, then run back down to continue conducting. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Imagine, it's kind of sucks so much to just be like, you're like, oh, this is it. I, this is going to be the best music ever. And then the director comes in and goes, no, that's your, oh, okay. But like, what's the real one? And you're just like, oh, uh, uh, that, that um, was it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm very glad Spielberg didn't like say like, okay, change it. That, that shit sucks or say anything yeah. like that, you know? Because John Williams talks a little bit about, like, you know, where he got that inspiration from. It's like, it's just constantly moving forward. Yeah. And so you kind of get that rhythm of, like, it, it's not stopping. It's just going to keep coming and coming and coming. So Might I think a train. Yeah, exactly. I, was, I thought the same train. thing. Yeah. Chugga, chugga, chugga. Yep, that kind of do 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 So, um, anyway, I just thought that was funny that he had to accept it and then run back down to continue yeah. conducting. Um, all right. And now this one, the one all that right. I'm going to end on, it's a bit of a downer. Okay. And it's This more, is the one you end on, huh? Yes. Okay. Um, and it's more of a theory than a fun fact, and uh, but I like true crime, so here we go. Oh um, boy! I, okay. So the Lady of the Dunes is an unsolved murder um, of this unknown woman who was found on July twenty sixth, nineteen seventy four, at Race Point Dunes in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Um, she was found face down on a beach blanket with a blue bandana and Wrangler jeans under her head, and both of her hands and one of her forearms was missing. Now, the investigation went almost completely cold, and it's, it's still unsolved, um, despite the body being exhumed three different times over the years. 
how does this relate to Jaws? You ask a good question. Thank you, Miles. Well, how does how does this re- sharks. how does sharks. this relate to Jaws? Whiskey. Exactly. Well, in 2015, a theory began circulating that this woman was one of the 400, was one of the background actors on Jaws. Okay. Um, so this happened. A- this happened. After? Well, so she was found um, July 26, 1974. They were filming at that time. They were filming at that yes. time. Yes. In Provincetown, Yikes. Massachusetts, was only about 100 miles north of where they were filming. And 100 miles? Yes. Okay. Now, Joe Hill, who was the son of Stephen King, who was also a writer. Uh, okay, interesting. We're <laughs> yeah. really, we're really yeah. in the multiverse. <laughs> he brought this to the attention of police, and if. You look very closely in that 4th of July scene. You can see a woman in jeans and a blue headband that Hill claims looks similar to the Lady of the Dunes. Oh. Now, police have looked into this, and I think they I think they still consider it, like, a slight possibility, but, like, it's pretty it's pretty much considered, like, far-fetched. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very, very, very unlikely that she was in the background of Jaws. Anyway, I thought that was fun. Interesting. Uh, uh, should, we, should we end it there? I'm, I'm <laughs> curious you decided to end it with that one and not the takes it took thing. You know what? I could have. <laughs> we, still, we still can't. We that's still true. can. Uh. But yeah, that's my last little... Well, because it's not really a fact. It's more of a theory. Yeah. So it's a little different. All right. So in conclusion, um, I, I would like to end this by uh, rating it stupidly. Despite everything that happened and how insane production was, they got a killer movie. They really did. And I think it's very Boy. good and its impact on film and the film industry and how movies are released uh, is very, I mean, it's so important. So I'm going to give it eight jump scare floating heads with an eye out out of 10. What about you guys? Okay. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to give this one a nine. I, I really liked it. I think, you know what though? I'll, I'll say this. I think if it was made now, I definitely rate it less. I think I, agree. I no. think the fact that they used, I mean, they they couldn't have used like CGI because now they would have used the CGI. It would have been shark. CG and it would have. It would it would not have looked as good. The fact that they used animatronic sharks, way better than using fake sharks. It would have cut down a lot on time. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, no, I think it worked best for when it was filmed. I agree. Like it's yeah. Definitely a product of its era, and it, it worked best in that time. Yes, I agree. Yeah. I'm going to rate it 8 out of 10 ocean waters. Salt, red, black, and uh, Pacific. <laughs> 8 out of 10. Okay, yeah, well, 8 um, out of 10. That's just like solid. I personally, I've said this before, I don't ever do 10 out of 10. So 9 is like, boom. 8 is like, that's like good. Good. Above the rest, that's my. So what happens if we just made the scale out of nine? Would it? Would it, <laughs> then never... it would be a seven? <laughs> okay, <laughs> and okay. it would just keep going down. I, I right. do not do. That's reserved for you know, God whatever dude. like cha- whatever like changes my life. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening to the very first episode of the Takes It Took, a movie podcast. We did it, boys. Um, we have Stefan singing our theme song. Okay. <laughs> Quietly in the background. The takes We have social media. We do have social media. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the takes it took. Just the takes it took. And you can also email us if I, you know, if I got something wrong and you want to go ahead and correct me and tell me I got something wrong. Yeah. Or you have movie ideas um, on. We will call you out by name on the next the next episode, and we'll. 
either you quit flaming us. Yeah, <laughs> either berate you yeah, or um, thank you. Um, so yeah, if, if you either. if you have a comment, I mean, obviously we, we want to be doing well. So if you have any suggestions for episodes that you'd want to see in the future, um, any corrections to something I may have um, incorrectly uh, stated, um, you can go ahead and email us at thetakesittook at gmail.com. And those, that's where you can find us. So it's pretty, pretty easy. No, no tricky spelling there or anything like that. Join us next time. Uh, I'll be leading a discussion on uh, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Lots of fun information on that one. Breakthrough in visual effects. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, little known facts about the editing where they just decided to absolutely chop off the first half of it. Oh. So all that and more uh, next episode. On the takes it took. So make sure you're you're following us so you don't miss anything. And um, uh, we hope you're going to join us for the ride that is the takes it took. Um, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. I'm going to do R2-D2 real quick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was bad. Okay. All right. Keep going. <laughs>